Welcome to Nefarious New York. I'm Allison. Are you? Really? I am. I'm Meredith. Yes. We did get a message thanking us for um, clarifying what manicotti or managot is because people did not know what you were talking about. From our friend Edmund. Yes. You were right. I was wrong. Did you get that? (sighs) That's it. We could end the episode now. That's all I needed. (laughs) Yeah. Speaking of. Speaking of, Meredith, as usual, is going to start us off. I think you kind of know what happened just because of who is involved, but not, not everyone knows this, you know. It was a very famous case, but for people who are younger, they probably don't know about this case and don't know about the parties involved. So and I have to say, even my age, I knew they were a couple, but I did not know the circumstances of either one's life. So, all right. Well, well, start us off. Now that you said that, let's let's get into it. So, Nancy Laura Spungen was born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania on February 27, 1958. She was the oldest of three children, and her entry into this world was a complicated one. The umbilical cord was wrapped around her neck, essentially choking her. Because of this, she had oxygen deprivation and cyanosis, so she was blue. And back in 1958, they evaluated her and determined that she didn't have any brain damage. I wonder what they would find with today's technology, but um, they kept her in the hospital for eight days and then she was sent home. Right. I feel bad mom shaming because I know how hard it is, but she was said to have been a very difficult baby and I'm talking like birth to like three months old screaming and Mm. crying all the time I'm thinking like colicky but apparently like not just normal crying like screaming constantly would sleep for a few hours and then be up screaming so her behavior Mm. was so alarming that at just three months old she was given a liquid barbiturate by by whom by By a doctor by a doctor prescribed it it was like in a dropper so you would just drop a couple drops on her tongue then she would sleep for a couple of hours and then wake up screaming oh so i i can't believe that it's it was that bad but i wasn't there and this drug was a depressive right so it put her to sleep and it was highly addictive so at three Mm. months old she's basically becoming a drug addict i just think her mom obviously looking back how her life panned out I would assume her mom feels some guilt and some regret. But, you know, she's a new mom, exhausted, doesn't know what to do, and listens to the doctors, which... The doctor. Right. Right. So I don't know how long they gave her these drugs, but she was a very difficult toddler. All right. So now she goes to school, and in elementary school, they gave her an IQ test, and she scored superior. Because she was so smart, she skipped third grade... And this is tough because then you leave your friends and the older kids aren't going to befriend the smart little kid. So she ended up doing really well in school but didn't make a lot of friends. And at home, her behavior was horrible and violent. And she was especially violent to her younger sister but was loving to her younger brother. Right, which seems odd. I would think you would be one way all the time. Sure, right. But I I feel sorry for this girl. Oh, me too. 
And as she's getting older, her behavior is just getting worse. There are some specific incidents that were reported, and they kind of stood out from just her usual violent outbursts. She did threaten a babysitter with scissors. So if she's got a babysitter, she's got to be fairly, you know, I would think 14 and under. Right. So this is pretty young to be acting out like this. Of course. She also attacked her psychiatrist, which when I saw that, I was at least thankful that she was getting some psychological help. Right. And her attendance at school was all over the place. She she just wasn't going. And at one point, she was absent for over two weeks. So they suspended her from school. And this was maybe in the sixth or seventh grade. So all of these issues happen before she's even out of middle school. I don't know. It's very, very, very sad. But you can understand the circumstances that that probably led to this behavior. And it could be a combination of a lot of things. And I don't know if they're still drug, like if she's still medicated or on drugs. That right. I don't know. Or, or if she's getting it sporadically which would cause her to withdraw. And sometimes you look at this behavior and you're saying, okay, well, is she just spoiled? Or, you know, this is obviously not, there's something going on here. So her parents then sent her to a boarding school in Connecticut. And this school is still around today and it still helps students with behavioral issues, whether from psychiatric problems or disabilities. So like you said, she's, she's 14 now. And at 14 years old, she ran away from the school and tried to commit suicide. After this incident and after a thorough psychiatric evaluation, she was diagnosed with schizophrenia. Now, usually we've, we've covered schizophrenia a lot. Right. And usually you aren't diagnosed until you're, you know, your early 20s. So this is really rare that a doctor would diagnose somebody at 14 years old. Um, Her parents then put her in the local public high school and she graduated in 1974 at just 16 years old. To to have all these issues and still manage to graduate from high school at 16, that's about, you know, a year earlier than everybody else, at least. I don't know, it seems kind of remarkable. It's kind of weird. And it and she's almost sounds to me like she's on the spectrum. Mm hmm. You know, who knows? And, and who knows what causes that? But she certainly, since birth, has had various issues that could explain what's going on here. So she went to Colorado for college. Now, she's only 16, and she's off to college to live on her own, never mind all of these psychiatric issues and these behavioral issues. We don't like to judge on this show because you have no idea what what people are going through on a on a daily basis but it just seems like a recipe for disaster and here we are 5 months into college she was arrested for buying drugs from an undercover cop and she was also arrested for keeping stolen property in her dorm room she was kicked out of college and part of her plea agreement was she was kicked out of the state of Colorado right <laughs> Seems, At that age. Yeah, pretty severe. Yeah. I'm guessing that this these weren't her first run-ins with the local authorities. Probably not. Now she's back in Pennsylvania with her family, and she stays there for just a bit. And by 17, she moved to New York City. 
And I think her parents supported this move because it was just, she was a lot of trouble. So she supports herself, which we see a lot. She supports herself by stripping and as a sex worker. She was also a groupie for all kinds of different bands, and she actually followed one to London. While in London, she started following the Sex Pistols and ended up moving in with and kind of starting a pretty intense relationship with Sid Vicious. I recognize that name. Yes. For those of you that don't know, the Sex Pistols was a pretty popular London-based punk rock band. No, it wasn't pretty popular. It was extremely popular. (laughs) But if you do a little research into them, they were only together for a couple of years. And they made such a huge impact. Yeah. And I think that, like many artists, you know, you don't get that recognition sometimes until much later on. So they became a fixture in punk rock culture. So I listened to their most popular song because I wanted to see if even I was not into the punk rock scene, shockingly. No, you were into the hair bands. Yes. (laughs) So did I get any of their songs in mainstream? Mm -hmm. And I did know and recognize the Anarchy in the UK song. So I will say they were popular enough to reach a suburban hairband lover. (laughs) You sound so old. (laughs) I know. I am so old. So let's talk about Sid Vicious for those who um, are not old and don't know who he was. Sid Vicious was born Simon John Ritchie on May 10th, 1957 in London. And as a child, he lived with his mother and they moved around a lot. And his dad was a guard at Buckingham Palace, but his mom eventually was a drug addict. Around 17, he was in the music scene and living with a lot of different people. And he got the name Sid Vicious after he was bitten by a hamster named Sid And he said, Sid is really vicious or something like that. He was involved in assaults and fights throughout the London nightclub scene. And some of these fights landed him, of course, in jail. Eventually, he joined the Sex Pistols after their original bassist left the band. And he met Nancy in 1977. And as you said, they moved in together. And the manager of the Sex Pistols saw the destructive nature of their relationship and tried his best to separate them, but that only made things worse. Of course it did. At one point, when Nancy was banned from attending their shows, he smashed his guitar over an audience member's head. Mm -hmm. And after the Sex Pistols broke up, he also had a short solo career, and Nancy was his manager. Mm Mm-hmm. That's just a recipe for disaster. It totally is. But you also have to remember how young they are. First of all, they're on drugs. They're in this crazy punk rock scene. Yeah. They're not going to be making the best decisions. Anyway, they had a crazy relationship. They were only together for about 19 months. And they fought. People remember physical fights. Both were hitting each other. And, you know, it went both ways. They were Mm -hmm. always abusing drugs and on drugs. And that was kind of her line into... Uh, groupie stardom was that she could get them heroin because in in London at the time heroin wasn't really a thing and she would Mm. she you know had experienced it in the U.S. so she kind of brought it there to them 
and she was kind of the supplier. So people allowed her in. So that's how she got all these connections. Right. Well, they loved her. And you'll do anything <laughs> for that for heroin. Right. So I hear. So the Sex Pistols broke up and Sid and Nancy moved to New York City and they stayed in room 100 of the Chelsea Hotel. They were registered as Mr. and Mrs. John Simon Ritchie. So they took his original name. His, his God-given name. His God-given name. And the Chelsea Hotel, you could tell us about, but okay. I'm sure most people have heard of it. The Chelsea Hotel is pretty famous and has had some extremely interesting and famous residents. So names like Jim Morrison, Bob Dylan, Madonna, Janis Joplin, Mark Twain... Dylan Thomas, Jack Kerouac, and and tons more. Movies have been filmed there, and it's designated a New York City historical landmark because right. of that. And at the time, you could live there. Now they don't allow long-term residents, but you could. it was basically a hotel, but also it was an apartment. While at the hotel, they were just hanging around, you know, doing drugs and kind of, I just picture it smelly and dirty, but... I, I know. Right? <laughs> yeah, I know. On the early morning of October 12th, 1978, so around 2.30 a.m., Nancy called Rocket's Red Glare. And I don't think he was very famous, but he was an actor, comedian, and sometimes bodyguard for them and apparent drug supplier. So Mm. they had other dealers come in that night as well, but they called him for drugs and he came over and delivered whatever she had requested And Sid took a very large amount of drugs and he basically, like they said, the amount he took would have left him comatose for hours. Mm. And this guy saw him take them. So he was probably passed out for a very long time at around 7.30 a.m. Don't you tell somebody like, stop? I I I mean, not if they're paying you for the stuff, right? At around 7.30 a.m., other people staying at the hotel heard moaning coming from Sid and Nancy's room. At around 10 a.m., Sid called the front desk for help. He then just started roaming around in like a half-stoned stupor, like roaming the halls and kind of babbling and not making sense. And I think he had blood on him. The staff shows up and Nancy was found under the bathroom sink in the hotel room And she had a single stab wound to her stomach, and she had bled to death. So I have a picture of her there in the hotel room under the sink, and she's just wearing a bra and underwear, and she's clearly dead. The stab wound was made by a Jaguar wilderness knife with a five-inch blade, but the news jumped on Sid as a suspect and reported that the wound was made by a hunting knife that he had, and strangely enough in some of the photos you know you do up your little photo shoots like he's got to be like aggressive punk rocker and she's like stoned Mm -hmm. groupie and at one of them he's got a knife to her throat so as he's roaming around and the police come and whatever he's confessing that he killed nancy and he was arrested immediately now i don't know he's waking up from this drug-induced coma basically and sees that she's dead And maybe just assumes that he did it and is distraught and rambling on about how he did it because who else could have done it kind of thing in his head, maybe? I don't know. Seems odd. Right. Doesn't seem very reliable to me. But he was charged with second-degree murder. There were other possibilities, though. 
Yeah, I'm thinking one of the drug dealers. Right. There were a couple of drug dealers that were seen coming in and out. So it could have been them. They could have tried to rob them. I don't know how much money they could have had. Because although the Sex Pistols was popular now, I don't know how much money they were making no, at the time. I'm sure that they didn't. But also maybe they owed. Maybe they, you know. Right. I, haven't, I, I don't know. That's just an angle that people pursue in their theories. So uh, they say at 7.30 a.m., right, people heard moaning. Right. And then at 10 a.m., he calls the front desk. Right. So you would think that if he's in like this comatose state, is he could he even do something like that? But then if he's up at 10 a.m., you know, it, it's possible that he, he could have done it. You know, like I'm thinking if he's in this comatose state and he's passed out, has, how could he stab her? But who knows? When you're taking that amount of drugs, anything's possible. Anything's possible, right? You, you assume the risk that you're going to do something terrible if you're going to take those drugs. But they were also, right. remember, very violent with each other and with themselves. There were a lot of suicide attempts by both of them through the years. So another avenue is that Nancy did it to herself because it's just the one stab wound. I was thinking that, but, you know, I, I don't know. That is a theory. But another one is that that guy rockets Red Glare. Right. Who came to drop off the drugs that night, um, murdered Nancy. He could have gotten very a fight possible. with her. She was very volatile. She could have attacked him. And he, mm-hmm. he denied it publicly. But to his inner circle, he did confess. And that might have been just to like bolster his street cred. Right. To the press, he said that he really didn't think Sid did it. He thought it was a drug dealer who had come in. And he had seen people come and go. Well, so Sid was released on a $25,000 bail while awaiting trial. And shortly after his release, he tried to kill himself. His bail was revoked after he was arrested for assault and he was sent to Rikers and then freed on an additional $10,000 bail, which, you know, it's funny. You would think, all right, he tries to kill himself because maybe he's guilty. But this guy has a history of doing that. Right. Their relationship was so intense that he was distraught. But I will say when you when you finish this, I'll tell you how distraught I think he was. But go ahead. Okay. He was out for about four months and continued to abuse drugs, especially heroin, and he was found dead on February 2nd of an overdose before he could even be tried for her death. Right. So four months later, he is dead, but he dies at his new girlfriend's apartment. To me, I feel like, how distraught are you? You've already got a girlfriend four months after this crazy, tragic Uh, death. For a normal person, I would say that's strange, but this guy is far from normal, and his behavior is so erratic that it doesn't surprise me that he would have a new girlfriend four months later, because he probably just maybe needed companionship. He he didn't seem like the kind of guy that wanted to be alone. Right, and that's exactly right, and you're gleaning that from this, but he... His personality, even though he came off as this like edgy punk rocker, he was super insecure, quiet and shy. And she was more this overbearing, crass personality. So together, so he probably was just going to latch on to the next dominant person he encountered. Right. You know, normally people who are like that and people who have those intense relationships are people that can't really be alone 
Mm-hmm. Plus, you don't know how much drugs are playing into it, right? So he could just be in a new relationship for access to drugs. He could just, you know what I'm saying? Right. He probably just mentally gave up. So I am not sure about this one. I, and I don't know, you know, what like most of the public thinks. If they think that he was guilty, not saying he did it or didn't do it. I, there's a lot of, you know, you, you find this in a lot of cases where people say, oh my God, he, you know, he or she loved that person. But when you're under the influence of drugs, and especially that amount, you're not thinking with a clear head. The other thing is, if he was comatose and he was kind of, you know, passed out and he did that amount of drugs, it's very possible that all of this happened while he was not even awake. Yeah, well, that's the theory, right? I don't dismiss the theory that he just was in a blackout state and did this either because he was covered in right. blood. So, Well, maybe because he went over to her. Uh, there's just too many variables. Well, Nancy is buried in Pennsylvania. And in an interview, Nancy is quoted as saying, I won't live to be 21. I'm never going to be old. I don't ever want to be ugly and old. I'm an old lady now, anyhow. I'm 80. There's nothing left. I mean, she just had a shitty life. Such a shitty life, and that's such a sad thing to be saying. I just think from the second she was born, Mm -hmm. she just got handed a raw deal. Yeah, I agree. Sid said in an interview, and this is after Nancy's death, so within the four months after her death, he said... I'll die before I'm 25, and when I do, I'll have lived the way I wanted to. And in the same interview, the guy, the interviewer is asking him, like, what do you want to do now with your life? And he says, I just want to have fun. And the guy says, are you having fun now? And he kind of actually seems genuine when he kind of, he laughs, but not like a big hearty laugh. He just kind of snickers and says, no, no, I'm not having fun now. And then he is asked, where he wants to be right now and he says under the ground Mm. so it just seems like such a sad horrible end to both of their lives before we sing out or you sing us out i do want to talk about this podcast that i stumbled upon and it's called the time turner harry potter in-depth podcast which is a long name for (laughs) a show but that's what it's called Uh, You can also just call it Harry Potter in depth. If you like Harry Potter, they break it down into chapters and if chapters of the book. So if you are starting with the first book and you read chapter one through four and then go listen to this, I don't know that they're going to give you too many spoilers, but they kind of point out some things that you maybe wouldn't have noticed. You know what I mean? Like stuff that I think is brilliant that authors do this. They kind of foreshadow things and really have the whole story like she really had the whole thing planned out from book one okay so it's it's kind of cool like the the what do they call them easter eggs like the hidden things that you and i probably wouldn't see so they point that stuff out there's serious parts and then there's also jokes and stuff so right now i think it's just they've gotten book one two and three um analyzed i'm not a harry potter reader. I kind of always regretted that I never started it. But people who are Harry Potter fans are major. It's kind of like Star Wars. You I know, they're they're major, major love fans. Love Harry Potter. 
love love yeah it was like the best the best read I just remember waiting for the books to come out and just loved it so these are actually two siblings so it's a brother and sister and um, so they have that kind of back and forth and they've obviously read these books a bunch of times and analyzed it and are pretty thorough and even if you want to not read it but just kind of get familiar with the story for purposes of relating to people who love it you can also just bang out these podcasts and have a pretty good idea as to what's going on it was called the time turner harry potter in depth very cool podcast so you know check it out all right i guess i have to sing us out nefarious new york keep the comments coming yes <clears throat> I'm sorry, I got like morning phlegm. I know. <laughs> I haven't talked to anybody yet today, so it's like <clears throat> <laughs> I should have talked to my mom for an hour just to <clears throat> uh... <laughs> Oh, we just found our Wait. bloopers. Uh, oh correct. Uh, <laughs> listen we're recording very early in the morning right now well it's not early (laughs) it's early for it's early for us and you know for my summer hours the the fledgum is you know (laughs) so she was kicked out of college and part of her blee 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 blee, 